Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, I know you're still working on season five, but man, I just watched season six, episode one of The Walking Dead. (sighs) Daddy is home. I have two episodes left in season five. Oh, my goodness. And, and of course, finished it. We were going back and forth, like, who is ahead? Oh, yeah. No, you're, you've lost. I did, because I had to watch this damn movie. <laughs> I kept falling asleep. <laughs> I finally is, finished it. But. Let me just tell you, and I just want to say this. This will probably spoil it for, for you. So this, But I'm, I'm just going to say it. it has nothing to do with plot. Nothing at all. Good. It has everything to do with production. Oh, okay. I think as a producer, you will appreciate this. Over a thousand live extras. No dead extras, no cardboards, no blow-up extras, live extras on the screen at once. That's insane. Yeah. And I'm guessing they're zombies. Ironically, no. They found all the rest of the people. Oh, I spoiled it. <laughs> no, because that just, I mean, yeah, obviously, that's... it's its a Planet of the Apes sort of thing where there's a few key ones that get some good makeup and the rest just have like some color. Yeah, <laughs> right. A little splashed on their face. And then you get to the back ones. They're like, just wear these ugly clothes. Right. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's some of those. And the first one that comes out makes one of the one of the most disgusting entrances uh, that I have seen in terms of makeup. Like it is really gross and it's great. I love this. I love it so much. Excellent. It's a giant episode. Giant, Andy. Finish. I drink like the um episode where Noah gets uh gets taken. That was like I don't know if there's been a zombie death or death by zombies as like much of a throwback to the old uh all the old like Dawn of the Dead movies as that death. I was like, damn, they are really taking it, yeah. taking him to task with this thing. That's right. It's like grabbing his jaw and pulling his mouth and yeah. we're just watching it all. It's like, this is like old school zombie gore. It's pretty great. Good. I loved it. Uh, yes. Why don't we get good. enough of that stuff? That's exactly what I want. That's what I want out of season six. I want more of that. I like the cerebral stuff, but sometimes, you know, it can go on a little bit long. Uh, the other thing that I just discovered, and I know I am late to the program here, is Mr. Robot. Have you heard yeah. much about this? You told me. Uh, Did we talk about it last week already? No. Oh, no. this was just you and I talking? This was us talking. Hmm. You know, we talk sometimes. That it's happens. not always about the show. I don't, I don't remember that. Uh, it is a great show, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I it, he, The main character uh, spent the last episode we watched kicking morphine. And so you can imagine that one. Speaking of cerebral, that was that was a rather introspective episode. Uh, it was weird enough that my wife said, I think they may have lost me on this. I said, no, no, no. This is just the we got to get over the hump. It's coming back. It's coming back. I really enjoyed it. She did not enjoy it so much. Otherwise, it's a fantastic show. So really enjoying that. But I'm still on season one. So I don't know what's going on. If there's a season two coming, I don't know. 
Uh, and of course, I, I'm watching with the kids all the uh, superhero uh, episodes, shows. Gotham has started with a bang. I really have liked that so far. Um, and you will like it because The Shield is the new police chief, your man. Nice. Yeah, he's a new character. He's a new. He's really? the. Yeah, he's the new chief of police of Gotham Police, and he's great. He is great. Wow. Well, he's yeah. always great. He's always great. Well, I shouldn't say that. I can't think of his name. What's his name? Michael the, Chiklis. Michael Chiklis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing. He had a little dalliance with the thing. And he did that. He did that TV show where it's like the superheroes, like the family who all of a sudden discovers their superheroes. Oh it, yeah, I didn't watch didn't that at all. Really? No, that was past. not a good thing. Uh, but, uh, so far Arrow and, uh, uh, the Flash have been excellent fodder for, uh, uh, dad, kid TV time. Nice. Very much liking that. And uh, I can't think of anything else that I'm actively watching right now. I don't watch any of these shows that other people say are really fantastic. Like Good Wife. I don't really do that one. Uh, That's one that I want to watch because I hear how good it is. And I yeah. hear that it's so consistently good. And for a, a network channel show i mean that's like twice as many shows a season as any of these you know yes hbo amc types of shows that's a lot of shows they have to crank out and keep consistently good so i feel i owe it to the good wife to watch that show i just haven't actually i do never turned it on never looked at it once yeah once so i uh put uh dracula on for the kids oh the the original original. bella lugosi yeah bella lugosi I was really surprised at the intensity that it has just in the performances of the characters. It's really not that scary of a film, but for a nine-year-old girl watching that film, the the way that the characters all performed was too much for her, and she couldn't finish it, and she had nightmares and woke up twice Hmm. and came and woke me up (laughs) to stay with her because she was so scared. I was not expecting that from a movie from 1931. I so. have been consistently surprised uh, by these old movies. Like, well, we, we talked about it. It was the uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets that my my kids sat down and watched the entire thing and were just riveted. by who, What business do they have watching that film and enjoying it? What business, I ask you? <laughs> what are you thinking? Um, that, uh, that Todd Browning. Um, so I had forgotten that he did Freaks. I thought that was scarier than Dracula. I've never seen Freaks, but yeah, that was one of his follow-ups to Dracula. And he did, it looks like, the original Iron Man. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I haven't seen that. And uh, I just, I wonder how they do the weapons deals. I'm really curious about that. How did that work in, how did it work in, in the early 30s? <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some, well, we have some, we do have, I, I think this is the part that most people have been waiting for. We have a death to report. Do no, we? No, we don't. I lied. <laughs> Uh, it's not a death. It's actually a life achievement award. The AFI life achievement award. <laughs> uh, I did. Don't ask. I'm reading the headline and I was so excited to follow up because we had no deaths to report last week that, that I was about to report that John Williams died and received the life achievement award. Wow. It's not true. <laughs> He's not horrible. dead. That part of that story is not true. He has not passed away. Uh, so this, you were pretty excited about this. Oh yeah. It's great. It's great that because uh, they've never given it to a composer before. That is great. Is this the thing you follow, the uh, AFI Life Achievement Award? Is this the thing you get excited about? I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. uh, I don't. But it's thrilling, all the same, that the American Film Institute, um, who typically they award this uh, Lifetime Achievement Award to 
directors and actors. I don't think anybody outside of directors or actors. I think this is the first time ever any different career in film has been given the award. And it's perfect that it's John Williams, I think. I, I just, uh, you know, I like seeing him win awards. Not that he doesn't have enough uh, enough of them, but... Uh, He's got a lot of those little men. He sure does. He sure does. Congratulations, yes, does. John Williams. 44th AFI Life Achievement Award. We do have some... Uh, we've got a, a the, our cup runneth over with Blot Spots this week. Yeah, there are a few of them, aren't there? There are. I'm gonna. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna wrap up our Bong Joon Ho blot spot. You're gonna take on our first uh, uh, naughty children, naughty children blot spot. Okay. Sounds good. All right. This is from our uh, dear friend of the show, Ben Lott. Uh, I did enjoy Snowpiercer a lot. Ben says, although not as much as you guys. The story worked well for me, and I was surprised by some of the twists and turns. Unfortunately, I found the flow of the movie to be a bit choppy, as the violence seemed to subside for no logical reason from time to time, and then it was just free-roaming up the train. Also, the visual effects were quite poor and cartoony in spots. However, the plot overwhelmed the negatives and made this a pleasant experience for me. Your rank, 15 out of 204. My rank... 65 out of 204. Strangely, he continues, the only reason it didn't make it higher up my next real flick chart is because I couldn't raise it over Mother, which was slightly more impactful for me. You know what? That does my heart good. I think that Mother really is a solid film, and I wonder if we ranked it high enough. I agree with you on that. I that that is one that uh, it continues to age well as I think about it. And Snowpiercer was good. I just don't I don't think about it anymore. Well, I really love Snowpiercer, so I may have been the one that pushed that one up a little higher. But what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so it's your fault then. Good. It's my fault. Good. It's all my fault. Yep. Uh, and so that wrapped up our Bong Joon Ho series. Uh, where does Ben take us with our the first of our Naughty Children series, The Bad Seed, last week? Well, as he warned us when uh, we uh, listed the films we were going to be talking about uh, this half of the year, um, he was least looking forward to the Naughty Children series because Ben is not a fan of horror. Not that I call The Bad Seed a horror film by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) Uh, but it definitely wasn't one that worked for him. He said, I do not see what you like about this movie. Overacting galore was the first warning sign that The Bad Seed wasn't going to be for me. However, what really got on my nerves was the predictable plot. I knew everything that was coming literally hours before it happened. Such agony waiting for it to come to fruition. And all that odd editorializing about inherited mental disorders. Ugh. Still, at least it wasn't under the cherry moon. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Your rank 103 out of 205. My rank 202 out of 205. (laughs) Yes, I definitely didn't like that. Although, I will say, in defense of the film... I think this may have been the film on Facebook that we had more people comment on saying how much they love the movie. What is up with that? This is uh, one of those like films that I guess just has its fervent fans who really love it. My goodness, it really does. That was that was an impressive showing. Um I you know it that's that's one I I find after this week uh that I really like the bad seed more. Oh yeah. Than I did last week. Now that I've watched, <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about that. What? Uh, shall we tell the people where we're from, Andy? <laughs> yes, where are we from?
is the next reel on Rashpixel.fm, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hello! And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, Beware the Stare, the second in our horrible children Halloween spectacular series with Wolf Rila's 1960 film, Village of the Damned. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever passed out and woke up pregnant, you should definitely head over to instagram.com slash thenextreel and play The Next Reel's Instagram hashtag ponyprize hashtag guess the movie challenge. And with that, let's head on over to Scotland to check in with Stephen Smart in his own damn village. Hey guys, this week's movie was Alfred Hitchcock's Family Plot from 1976. This was Hitchcock's final film, and it's a fun suspense thriller with a great cast, including my personal favourite, Bruce Dern. It also stars Karen Black, Barbara Harris, and William Devane. This week was a first-time win for at Gavin M. Roberts, who nailed it on Image 1. So, congrats, Gavin, you are entered into the Pony Prize hat. As always, a new challenge starts Friday, so thanks guys, and see you later. Andy, it's time, let's do trailers! Uh, Good night, mommy, everybody. Everybody who <laughs> likes horror movies, not Pete, but everybody else. And if we could see it, IMAX 3D. Hell yeah. Good night, mommy. Uh, two twin boys move to a new home with their mother after she has some uh, uh, plastic surgery on her face. But under her bandages, it seems to be uh, the mommy is not the mommy they remember or the that seems to be acting like mommy. And it's these two twin boys trying to figure out what the heck happened to mommy. And it looks just freaking terrifying. I can't wait to see this one. It looks like it had a limited release September 11th. Uh, so it's been, you know, a full month now, although I never heard anything about this. Um, it's still kind of doing some festivals, too. So anyway, check it out if you get a chance. It's a German film, and it looks like a fantastic horror film. And almost everything Andy said just now is a lie, a- <laughs> apart from release date <laughs> and uh, release language. Because Pete wet his pants. It is in fact in German. (laughs) It is in German. You should go watch the trailer and um, recognize that I'm right. It looks (laughs) terrible. That is all. Do you want to actually do a real trailer now? I do want to do a real trailer. And uh, yes, uh, you know, I love me some Jane Austen. I love me some Pride and Prejudice. And why not throw some (laughs) zombies into the mix? (laughs) (laughs) You know, honestly, I'm not quite sure about this whole blending uh that's been going on i think it's very comical i just i i don't know if they're able to actually fully carry it off and actually make something solid out of it i didn't see abraham lincoln vampire hunter although i still uh, kind of want to out of curiosity this is one that I, i have on my curiosity list i don't think i'll seek this out in theaters unless it's just one late night and i just feel like going enjoying myself but it does look like it would be fun regardless. I mean, the fact that you have... Essentially, you know, you've got the the Pride and Prejudice characters and uh, Mr. Darcy and, and all, and, and there's zombies in it. And 
all fighting this army of undead. It just is such a strange blending, and I'm very curious about it. And uh, yeah, I kind of want to see. Burr Steers is directing it. He's um, this certainly doesn't seem like his cup of tea. I mean, he's the director behind Igby Goes Down, Seventeen Again, Charlie St. Cloud. Definitely uh, seems like more of kind of that teen angst, kind of that you know sort of film. And uh, and then there's this one, so I'm not quite sure what to make of it. But I don't know. Yeah, it still it still piques my curiosity. You know, I didn't. Did you read the book? I didn't. Again, it's just one of those things. It's like, gosh, how are how are they going to carry that off and make it work for a full book? I mean, it's a funny concept, but yeah, and that's about it. I felt like I never read the book either, so I have no uh, no foundation on which to stand here. But I, it just feels. Uh, like it's a really funny concept that I don't think I could be interested in that long. Of course, it is zombies, and so I'll probably see it. It I did find myself chuckling out loud at the trailer. There are some <laughs> sequences when the prim and proper ladies do start with the ass kicking. I found I found myself kind of get excited about it. Yeah, it, so. <laughs> that stuff is fun. I mean, it's a little anachronistic, but it's yeah, still... but I'll take like, it. And see, I almost would have enjoyed them doing it more in period, like seeing these these people fighting in period rather than all of a sudden kind of coming out with this yeah, anachronistic with like kung fu. ass kicking and all <laughs> that, right, which just right. seems completely illogical. That's right. That's right. I agree. You know, because now, now it feels like it's going down the Hansel and Gretel witch hunters sort yes. of road. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah, which is just celebrating the gore and the act of of you know hunting monsters, but not not really taking advantage of the pl- the playground that they have. Like the the mashup, I I think they leave the world of that particular mashup and go into something different. And it's it's again, it's like putting a hat on a hat. Like I think they would have more fun if they stayed in period. And and let us see what what would it be like. Let's really imagine what it would be like to have zombies. Uh, in Pride and Prejudice and not make it, you know, not modernize it quite so much. Exactly, so. exactly. So it's on my curiosity list. Um, I'm not, you know, champing at the bit to see it or anything, but it uh, comes out February 5th, maybe slow enough that I might just go see it anyway. All right. Well, my trailer, oh, Andy, feels oh, like yes. we're going to have to open our series up again. Hail Caesar <laughs> from the Coen Brothers. A Hollywood fixer in the 1950s works to keep the studio's stars in line. Uh, it's just, what background do you need beyond that? It's a musical celebrating Hollywood musicals starring Scarlett Johansson, Channing Tatum, Josh Brolin, Ray Fiennes, George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, ugh, Tilda, Jonah Hill, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. I'll say that again. Dolph Lundgren. David Crumholtz, uh, Clancy Brown, Francis McDormand, Alden Einry. It's got everybody. Fisher Stevens, Christopher Christ- Lambert. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Right. Uh, Patrick Fisher. I mean, the, the list is amazing, of course. The, they, they pull together to see this movie. You got to see this movie just so just to make sure they can pay the bills and not end in embarrassment. That's why you need to see this. But the trailer makes it look really funny to me. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's one that, that scratches all the right itches for me. I think it's going to be great. So, uh, you know, it's a good, big, uh, massive Hollywood send up with music and George Clooney. What can go wrong? I loved I loved Hudsucker Proxy. Right. 
I think it looks fantastic. I really hope it's in the Oh Brother Where Art Thou vein of things and not in the Ed Sucker Proxy vein of things. This, I mean, it looks great. It's got a great cast. It's got just a funny, funny story. Everybody looks like they're just solid. Josh Brolin really looks like he's going to be uh, carrying this thing. And he plays Eddie Mannix, which I think is very interesting because there is a real Eddie Mannix uh, who is an American film studio executive and producer. And uh, he is, um, I was actually going to talk about him on the show related to our film tonight, oddly enough. So I'm really curious, like, what is their blend that they're going to do of of reality and uh, and kind of this fantastical Hollywood world they're creating? And it opens the same day as yours, Andy, February 5th, 2016. So that's actually not great. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't suck because it's... It's the so doldrums. We could see either one of those films. That's right. Oh, that's a barometer check. Andy, you have to be taught to leave us alone. Science fiction has never imagined so strange or terrifying a story as that of the village of Midwich, England, cut off from life as we know it by some mysterious force. And later, at one and the same time, a child was born to every woman in the village. Children that grew to look like this. Beautiful youngsters behind whose fiery, hypnotic eyes lurked the demon forces of another world. They're not human. They ought to be destroyed. Forces put to such sinister use that it became a national emergency. Today, their control reaches out into space. Tomorrow, will it girdle the globe? There's nothing you can do to stop us. Leave us alone. Village of the Damned, 1960, uh, directed by Wolf Rila, written by Sterling Siliphant, uh, Wolf Rila, and uh, this is based, <laughs> it's based on a, on the novel, The Midwich Cuckoos. That's right. By John Wyndham. Do you know why the novel is called that? Well, the village is Midwich, and the cuckoos yes. are the children. The cuckoos, a, a cuckoo bird actually goes into other nests and lays its eggs in other birds' nests. And then the bird raises that bird as its own, and that bird kills the uh, the other offspring. That's horrible Aha! that you know that. That's horrible that you know that. That's part of nature I didn't need to be exposed to. <laughs> that is awful. Uh, the title is also awful, The Midwich Cuckoos. Uh, I get it now, and it's more haunting now, but it was just about a minute ago, ridiculous and laughable. <laughs> um, and I, uh, the film was uh, interesting. I had not seen it. You had seen it. I don't remember what you thought of it. I think you told me last week. I'll have to check the tapes. I said I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, okay. Well, our paths diverge in a yellow wood. Well, remember, that's what I said before I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was a, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. It, I think the, the problem is like, like many of these films that I, I think genre films, they don't age uh, well. Uh, and in particular, this as uh, I think our tastes, when you look at what we were just laughing about, right? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and, um, you know, Walking Dead, our tastes for, for horror and thriller and scares have changed a lot. And this movie counts on, I think, a different level of intensity, of, of expectation. And I found myself really 
desensitized to it and numb to it. And so the thrills, the intensity, the the curiosity wasn't enough to get me up over the uh, over the the bar, over the threshold. And so I found myself really bored through most of it, curious but bored through most of it. Well, uh, it certainly doesn't have the um, over the top uh, antics and just kind of that theatricality that the bad seed has working in its favor. I think that's and a really think- good point. I want to I want to like celebrate that point because I think one of the reasons and this may be what what Ben Lott didn't react well to, maybe the reason I liked the bad seed so much more than this film even is that it was yelling at me the whole time. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Everybody was overacting. It was like they were screaming at me to pay attention to them and I just I did because I do what people tell me to do. It's it's an interesting thing because I I do think I actually enjoy this film and if I were to pick between this and the bad seed I would put this on first. Hmm. It's and it's 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 a it's a weird thing because I I don't know how much I I mean it, on my enjoyment level I think it's almost on par probably with the bad seed. Um and I think maybe it's because I've seen this one before and I just know the story uh and I'm so familiar with it. Um, even though I, I had a lot more problems with it this go around, I still like the concept of it. I still think there's something interesting there, even though I found it um, rather dated and uh, kind of uh, a little bit of a slog. What did you, so what did you have, what, what were your problems with it? Because, and this is one of the things that I am challenged with, that, that ultimately the, the story uh, is one that I'm interested in, right? I mean, I like this idea of uh, the the initial, the first half of the movie, the initial conceit where the entire village passes out and when they wake up, all the women are pregnant. Um, you know, I find that really curious. That is a great anchor for me. I think that's fantastic. Um, and it lasts just long enough that I lose interest. And then the babies come and... It's just, I, I think that they play with time in such a way that it ends up feeling clumsy, rushed, then slow, then rushed. I never get a sense of real intense uh, fear from the children. Um, and and I, I also never get a real sense, a, a real sort of palpable sense of the control that the children have over others. Um, you know, I get it occasionally, you'll have the guy who blows his head off with a shotgun that we, we don't. Obviously, we don't see anything there, but um, you know, I, e- even that, it sort of feels like he kind of wanted to do it. <laughs> for me, I, I think it's one of those movies where I can watch it and just kind of enjoy it for what it is. And if I thought, what, what is it that you always say? If I thought too much about it, then I'd have issues with it, or whatever. Yeah, right. You despise yeah. me, don't you? Well, if I thought, if I thought about you, I probably would. Right. It's it's that sort of thing where yeah. I can see like a lot of holes, but when I watch it, I can I can just kind of go along with it and not worry too much about the 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 pacing of it. A lot of it I just I think boils down to time and maybe that's what I usually kind of just dismiss as oh it's from 1960, the the pacing of it's a lot slower. It just, you know, there's definitely no scares in it. It is completely not scary at all. Um although this is one that I am really curious to watch again with my kids and just see how they react to it. Although after watching Dracula, I'm like maybe maybe not. <laughs> Sounds like a just great yet. idea. <laughs> maybe not just yet. But it's it is a um it it definitely feels like a little bit of a relic of its time. Not so much as as the bad seed, which that all of the stuff with the um the talk about uh you know the the 
where the bad seed came from and the genealogy and is it nurture versus nature and that just felt so heavy-handed in that film that was uh that's what really bogged that film down for me was was that element of it and i think it was just the 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 over-the-top performances that actually made me enjoy it so much i had a great time watching mother and daughter as they kind of went about everything this one i love george saunders i think he's just so much fun to watch i've always enjoyed him and he's he's a little different here he's not he he always seems like he's a, a bit more of a cad he always plays that kind of spiteful character a little bit more or a villain and here he actually is a pretty sympathetic protagonist and i actually really enjoy seeing him that way even though um you know his he's clearly the december in his relationship with barbara shelley's anthea um which he acknowledges but it's it just is it's funny to see it's i i think what this is this is a real problem though you bring up this central relationship this character relationship and and barbara shelley is uh who is fantastic is relegated to a bit player yeah uh, really. through most of the film and and that is a, a real frustration because i think she has so much more to give and is such an interesting uh, actress to watch that we and I'm with you. I like George Sanders too, but but his Gordon Zellaby is just plodding around the set, and it's it's she's just sort of the mopey professor. And I had such a difficult time connecting with this guy. Well, Barbara Shelley, you know, she's been she was in number of the Hammer films: um, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Rasputin, the Mad Monk. She's one of those actresses who had been seen. She's great in these sorts of films. And she even said when uh, she talked to, I don't know if it's the director or the producer or somebody, but she was frustrated with the script, the fact that the woman was never allowed to do anything. They always, like every time it came, uh, a mother came on screen, they pretty much kind of dismissed her and let the men kind of handle everything. And there could have been a lot more interesting stuff going on if they let the mothers actually really participate in the story, because they're the they're the mothers yes. of these kids, and this you is don't a film get to about see them. Mothers for crying yeah. out loud! Yes, yeah. the dads. I mean, none of the dads are uh, fathers of these children, but the mothers are the mothers of these children, and yeah. we don't ever get to spend time with the mothers, and it's so frustrating. And, and Barbara Shelley is great, and it's just, it's very frustrating that Anthea is dismissed so um, wholeheartedly that, um, you know, he slaps her, <laughs> gives her a good solid blow across the face to snap her out of it, so to speak, um, when she's, you know, possessed by the child, dunking her hand in the scalding water. And um, it just, you know, there's just a lot of stuff. I'm just like, ah, it just, it's so dated in so many elements like that. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and you know, it doesn't help and, and I don't even really know how to say this because, you know, you deal with what you have at the time, but it, it doesn't help that every time the kids, uh, and now this is obviously in the second half of the movie where the kids are now willful and intelligent and are taking action on the town, uh, that the kids, when they go into mind-bending mode and their eyes light up, mm -hmm. the effect is so stupid. Ah, I actually like that quite a bit. I think it's good and just cheesy, creepy, low budget. It's low budget movie creepy. And what I'm, my point is, I think they could have gotten away with it without doing any effect at all. What they end up doing is they freeze 
the the screen for in in most of the existence of the the uh, sort of examples of this they freeze the shot and you're looking at a freeze frame and they overlay an animated like white uh ring on the kid's eyes it's a, it's actually an inverted print okay. of their pupils right Right, and so, but it's on a freeze frame, and so the action freezes, and we look at this kid who's like frozen there, and blah, blah, just looks weird. <laughs> in its wait, more wait. in its more aggressive stance, they actually split the screen where you'll see, like, uh, you know, as uh, in in one sequence, um, it's uh, Barb. I think it's Barbara holding uh, David. Uh, no, it's not Barbara. It's one of the other mothers holding the little boy who they're doing the box test with when mm, his brother mm-hmm. comes up. Yes, 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 away. yes. And and so uh, the boy looks up and they freeze the screen. And so you can still see the mother on one side of the frozen frame. Uh, and the boy is frozen uh, in her arms on the other half of the frame. And so she's kind of moves and you can see it. She falls out of the frame. Her hair no longer lines up with the hair that's on the frozen part of the screen. It looks so incredibly stupid. My point is, I think they could have gotten away with this without doing any of that. It could have been even cheaper and more intense had they just, uh, you know, worked with sound and worked with the kids to have them, you know, to to have them actually deliver the uh, the look and and um, uh, and play with it without any effect at all. I think that's actually a really interesting point um, uh, as to a way that they could have done it with just kind of effects. I mean, it worked. Well, in The Haunting, you just have the sound yes. in, in Robert Wise's film, not the remake. And that um, really creates a very terrifying experience because you don't know what's out there. All you can do is hear things and you can see these, you know, the doors breathing and, and it makes it very, very creepy. This, the eyes, the thing I guess I like about the eyes is it does give it kind of that sci-fi element. And it does, I mean, if it is, you know, these, I don't know if it's invisible aliens or what it is that actually impregnated all these, um, all these women. Um, I, I kind of like that sci-fi element of it. And I guess that's why it kind of works for me, even though I think your point is actually valid and would have made a better film. <laughs> I love it when you say those things about me. That is such a backhanded compliment. It was actually valid what you just said. This time it was actually valid. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, George Sanders, Barbara Shelley, I like them very much. Martin Stevens is the uh, is the hooligan uh, leader. Would you would you say? Uh, yes, he's, he's the he's the the youth. Uh, the the youth, the little Aryan, Aryan <laughs> Nazi Jungin, child, the, the Jungian alien leader, uh, and uh, he is, um, yeah, he was, you know, he's great. He was no uh, Carol Ann. I say, just wait until we see the innocence and talk about it next week. Oh, because he's in oh. that. Well, yeah, okay. I haven't seen that either. It's uh, yeah. Well, am I, I am I going to like anything. it? Am I going to like it more than this? I hope so. <laughs> I'll just say that. You don't sound very confident, Andy. Uh, it's it's of the four. It's my favorite. Okay. Okay. Good. Excellent. Um, Martin Stevens. Uh, he we and we we don't have to talk very much about him. Uh, he did not do uh, much. The only reason I want to talk a little bit more about him is because I've spent the last hour uh, like browsing around the internet for him because he's now like an architect, right? And one of the things I got so excited about. Uh, is that you can um, <laughs> you can go to his website and you can pay ten pounds 
for Martin Stevens to answer a question. Did you did you know this? I didn't. Yes. MartinStevens.me.uk slash ask.html. Martin's personal Q&A service, exclamation point. Rather than offer the usual service of asking a question and getting an impersonal online reply, I'm offering something a little more personal and permanent. If you would like to ask me a question about my life as an actor and receive a personal reply on special-headed notepaper, which incorporates photographic images from my film career, please fill in the form below. This personalized piece of Martin Stevens memorabilia can be yours for only £10. And don't forget, each reply is unique to you and permanent. Just fill in the form below, click on the Submit Question button, and follow the instructions. Wow. What do you think? You know what I think? What? Pony prize! I know! (laughs) We should totally pay the 10 pounds for somebody to get a question, any question, answered by Martin Stevens. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I think it is too. Uh, I think it is too. No, he was great and haunting, and I think he would have been better and more haunting if they hadn't messed him up with all of the special effects. Um, and and again, my problem with the kids in general, the cuckoos, as we'll call them affectionately, is that I didn't get the feeling, uh, I, I never got the feeling that they were that bad. Interesting, because I actually felt they were pretty... I I think what it is, is the fact that they never react to things. They just keep that that straight face about everything, and then they just turn and stare at you. And that, for me, is has always been one of the more terrifying things in films, when, like, groups of people just turn and stare. Maybe it's a public speaking thing, I don't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one of those things. It's very effective in, uh, <laughs> in John Carpenter's um, Prince of Darkness, which certainly has its problems. But all these all these uh, homeless people get possessed by yes. I don't know devil spawn, and then the people keep looking out the window, and they're just all staring, just motionless, standing there staring. It just creeps me out to no end. And these kids do the same thing. I think it's very effective direction on Wolf's part that uh, that's how he did it. And I do actually like that he had them all wearing these blonde wigs that were kind of padded underneath to make their heads look a little more enlarged. I think that's a pretty clever thing. And I think it works really well for the kids. I, I like the kids. I think that they're good and creepy. And I love Martin. And the interesting thing is they actually had Martin dub all of his own lines so that his mouth uh, it just it feels like he's actually speaking but it just feels like there's something slightly off about it yeah and because it is him it it feels like it's another voice inside his mouth that's speaking while his other mouth is moving yeah that's what it it feels it really does cement the experience that these kids have been taken over or that they're they're shells of alien intelligence right so yeah. I, you know, I. But when did when did the first body snatchers come out? Fifty uh, six or seven. More intense. Same theory. It, yeah, and I think that one had a little bit more of a message that they were trying to say, you know, about uh, the communist. Fifty six. Yeah, it was fifty six. Yeah, it was nineteen fifty six. About about communism and everything. This one, I don't know if they were trying to. Maybe they were. I mean, 
it does feel like it could be Britain's reaction to the Nazis. That is a little bit of kind of what I kind of read from this. You've got these, you know, these little Aryan invaders who, um, <laughs> who just kind of are, are trying to kind of subvert and take over and everything. And, and uh, people want to get rid of them, but these people just keep coming. There's something interesting about that. I don't know if I want to read that much into it. I just don't know. Well, there is something interesting about it, too, because when you look at the other villages that uh, that were taken over, because that's that's one of the things. We're here in Midwich, but there are other villages around, the, uh, around Europe and Asia uh, that had the same thing happen, where everybody, falls, everybody passes out and they wake up and uh, they're pregnant. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I wonder sort of as you connect the dots on the map from sort of, you know, when you look at the at, at Russia and Russia's role um, and uh, what was the other one? There was your kooks. There was um, there's Australia. That's the one where they all died. And then the Alaska, I think mm. Australia, Alaska and two in Russia. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting geographically. Um, you know, when you when you kind of start pulling on that particular thread, I think it's an interesting one, and I think it's I you know that actually, uh, when you look at it as a cultural reflection of of the time, it makes it sort of more interesting. The kids make it such an obvious Nazi trope uh, that that it's it's kind of hard to ignore. And when you I I think as you as you frame it too as a as a response to an artistic response to the Nazis, I think it's a um, it it's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting one. I, it, again, it's it, this is why I keep coming back to the fact that some movies just don't age well, and and this one doesn't for me. Yeah. So well, I, I you know I can totally totally buy that. I just think I have an easier time with it just because I, maybe it's because I've seen it before and I kind of knew the story. I knew what I was getting into going into it. It was a pretty breezy thing to watch, even though I did find it. it it's just it is very kind of slow paced it doesn't move along i do like that wolf rilla kind of took a a bit of a documentary approach with it um there's something that i read or gosh i can't remember where i heard about it but he had he there was somebody um i think it was hg wells who said take a story and just put one sci-fi element in it you don't need to uh have like all this crazy stuff i mean obviously stuff like star wars is great but if you just take the regular world and add one sci-fi element it really kind of helps us connect to it that much more and it makes that one sci-fi element seem that much stranger and i think wolf really latched onto that in this story and by kind of keeping it this documentary style the way that he made the film i do feel that it led to a little more strangeness strangeness like the whole opening with the with everybody falling asleep in the village the way that it was all directed and you've got that great scene where um, where Zellaby's uh, brother-in-law, um, Michael Gwynn's character, Alan, um, is going to town and he runs into the cop, uh, Peter Vaughn, which is great to see Peter Vaughn in a young role, um, as he tries to, they find this bus that uh, uh, Peter Vaughn's character is looking for, Peter Vaughn bikes up to it and passes out and falls asleep, which kind of, that's what triggers Alan to... Uh, alert the military as to this whole thing that's going on and all of that was done in just this this kind of this nice documentary sort of style that you know is is kind of simple the cameras were just kind of simply following people and it just felt very natural it felt like we were there live as they were kind of figuring all this stuff out i i felt that it worked really well and i felt that first part of the story is really effective 
Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I, I really feel like the first part of the film is is effective. I deeply enjoyed it, and it felt, uh, you know, it, it built a mystery that I was really interested in. Uh, you know, my challenge was is that I, I wanted the movie to go in a different direction. I don't know what that direction was, but the movie I got was not a good ending to the movie that I saw when it started. Uh, and that was the challenge that I had. But I love the bit, you know, when it, like the trauma over asking a, a lone military pilot to fly lower and lower when you know what's going to happen. It's a plane, and you know when people get into this sort of this is a this is I imagine Stephen King probably saw this for the dome, right? It just feels like <laughs> the dome, right? And That's you know right. when he falls, when he goes down below this certain thing, that the dude's gonna fall asleep. But he's in a plane, and nobody really uh you know he he knew it the people who were around him knew it but nobody really stopped him and said this is probably not a good idea to to you're sending this guy to his death and in fact he sends him to his death i thought that was great i thought that was a a, a great sequence i really enjoyed kind of what they were doing there i liked that they were using the birds on a stick and and you know pushing them over the line and then pulling them back real fast i thought that was really cool uh and it, and it set up the universe that i really wanted to explore uh, and and sadly, it just didn't didn't last. Yeah, it uh, it it was um, that that is one of the frustrations about it. Um, that once the kids and their powers are kind of there, it uh, it is kind of a, a dance as far as how well is the sci fi actually going to work. You know, I, again, if I think about it too much, I have a lot of problems with it. I I can watch the film and it's not a huge issue for me, but analyzing it and looking at it there's just a lot of issues with it and I, you know i i don't know i will say i did find i think there was more to the deaths that that i felt like i i really liked the way the deaths were handled as far as the way that um the kids kind of stared and and you had i, I think there's probably three deaths that we saw there was the the shotgun there was the fire there was the wall i think those were the three right yeah i believe yeah. so um I, I liked the powerlessness that everybody had in those situations and how awful that was. And and it was very frustrating uh, because when they started figuring out that it was the kids doing this with their minds, that there just seemed like there was so little they could do. Um, and I think Alan is the only one who actually tries to confront them. And of course, they kind of wipe it or not wipe his brain, but they kind of turn his brain to mush for a short period of time. And, and he's pretty much just catatonic for a short spell. I, I thought that stuff was really interesting. And the fact that, that this is how they handled all this stuff was, it was pretty creepy. And I, I don't know, I, I guess maybe they could have done that um, stronger if, uh, I, I don't know, is it just the eyes? Was there something else for you that would have made all of that stronger? I don't know. Maybe I I think uh, I you know I keep I'm I'm sort of ruminating on your um uh, your comment about just add one sci-fi element and I keep coming back to sound I I feel like that you know that's that's a uh you know un I don't want to say unexplored because they did some interesting things with sound in the film um but uh I, I feel like it it was just overdone and that's why it didn't um, it didn't latch with me uh I and maybe it's the response to like this is actually not a script thing. It's not an effects thing. It's an acting thing. Like it's just that I didn't buy that the kids really knew what they were doing when they were controlling 
these people what they were making them do, uh, or that the people who were being controlled, um, that their control wasn't coming from the kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Like there was just no, there was no really strong connection there for me. I just didn't have it. Um, so I don't know if that would, would have made it stronger for me or not. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, one of the interesting things I would like your comment on is that as I am reading here, and I am not a student of this particular uh, now cliche of the genre, but I am, as I understand it, this is one of the first it may not be over endings that uh, at the end, the uh, uh, our, our friend uh, George Sanders goes into the school with a bomb and he blows up the kids by thinking of a brick wall. And the kids all blow up, but then their eyes are superimposed on the screen, and they all float off into into space. And the indication, or the implication, is that maybe these uh, the the whatever was controlling their shells lives on. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, ending when you see the eyes, kind of those glowing eyes floating out of the of the fire. It's like, so are they like the alien spirits going out to possess other people? What's going on there? I didn't. I couldn't quite figure out exactly uh, why they chose to direct it uh, that way and have it end that way. It was a very interesting ending, and I don't know um, actually if this is the first film that uh, kind of had that sort of ending. Did you find that somewhere? Well, I it, it you know I have it as one of the first over at ScreenOnline.org.uk um, in an editorial there from that looks like courtesy of Turner Entertainment. So from the studio, uh, they say this is this is one of the first. It may not be over endings, which has now become a genre cliche. So I think it's, a, I just think it's interesting. I have never thought about it that way, but I feel uh, better that I have seen one of the first It May Not Be Over endings on film. That's in my, that, that was, I didn't even know that was, should have been on my bucket list, but now it is. <laughs> now you can check that off. See? Yeah. We're accomplishing all sorts of things on this. <laughs> Anybody else? You know, it's interesting. You bring up the Nazi thing with Wolf Relay. You know, I, I, I did not know. I mean, I should have known by his uh, by his name alone when I first started watching this movie. But he actually was uh, son of Walter Relay, the German actor, and uh, actually escaped to London. Uh, Rila took his family, escaped to London when Wolf was very young, when Hitler came to power, and so uh, he actually is essentially a refugee from from Hitler's Germany, uh, which kind of brings the the whole Nazi thing a little bit closer to home. Yeah, I, I do think that there is something to that. That uh, I mean, like I said, I, I don't want to read too much into it because I haven't read anything or seen anything with people saying, oh, we're really trying to have a message. Like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's all you hear about with that film is the is kind of the the witch hunts and all that, you know, the communist witch hunts, stuff like that. This doesn't have, um, I just don't, I, I've never read anything where it's like, oh, what we were really trying to say is, you know, looking at the Nazis and all this sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's easy to read into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with Wolf's background. But, you know, I it's, it's one of those things where we can read into it and it's kind of fun to read that into it. I just don't think they were overtly trying to say that. Did you ever see Cairo? Cairo is uh, is another Wolf Rila film, uh, and he directs his dad and George Sanders, uh, and it is a, apparently a remake of the Asphalt Jungle, which we've talked about on the show. And now I'm suddenly curious to see it. Hmm, very interesting. It's the plot has been changed to a heist of King Tut's jewels in the Cairo Museum. Huh. 
fascinating. Yeah. Apparently, it wasn't very good. Does not <laughs> does not uh, have it, it. It is not uh, performing strongly. I I do think that the cinematography. We talked about the cinematography looking pretty plain last week on the on uh, the bad seat. Jeffrey Faithful's photography here, I thought, had a lot more life to it. A lot more um, just uh, you know contrast with the light and more movement. I really enjoy this, and maybe it's just because it opened it up. It wasn't just in a house primarily. There was we were really all over this little uh, this little town that they filmed this in, and I think that it just made it really come to life a lot more. I enjoyed looking at this film a lot more than the bad seed. Yeah, I agree with you. I I felt like he was they were sort of lucky to be able to shoot the village, you know, and and apparently many of the buildings that they used at least two of them, the schoolhouse and uh, and one of the stores was in this uh, this real village that is still. Still there, just north of London. Uh, what was it called? Uh, I just had it. Luxworth something on Luxley. Luxley. Oh goodness! Hang on, Lechmore Heath. The town, yeah. Near Watford. Yeah, I guess it's by a studio there somewhere yeah. that they they did all the interiors of the studio. And so you can go see the Three Horseshoes Pub and the Aldenham School, which apparently was not blown up for realsies. Uh, anyhow, um, what was I talking about? Oh, the village. I think they got lucky with this village of Lechmore Heath because it has a lot of lovely character, and I think it makes it really easy to shoot a quaint village and and do the setup uh, as people start passing out. I think it it made a really nice entree to the film. I find it found it really charming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I liked the music in this. I think it works all right. I think Ron Goodwin's score is it, it kind of just has that effective sci-fi sort of sound to it. Um, you have that very otherworldliness going on. It's not like you walk around singing. It's no, it's no John Williams, but who is um, not dead? <laughs> who's not dead? But I still thought it worked. And he also did the music for uh, the follow-up, uh, Children of the Damned, and uh, and Hitchcock's Frenzy, one of Hitchcock's final films. Should we be talking at all about the follow-up? I have not seen that either, but I did note it's, that in addition to Christopher Reeve, it also boasts Mark Hamill. Nope, that's the remake. Oh, it is? Oh, no, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. You're right. Yes, that, the, this is the right. the, the other The, the, the follow-up was... The, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. John Carpenter did a remake in uh, the mid-'90s that um, he there was the same year he did uh, In the Mouth of Madness, and some people say that that was a year where... There's a split in John Carpenter's work. Everything up to In the Mouth of Madness was great. And then starting with uh, the remake of Village of the Damned and everything since has pretty much been crap. <laughs> so I actually am doing, a, a, a along with my Robert Redford rewatch, I'm doing a John Carpenter rewatch, going through all of his uh, chronology. So I will find out. I'll be able to report that one of these days. Excellent. Well, yes. I deeply look forward to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, Children of the Damned, the actual sequel to this in 1964, it's a weird sequel. I actually started watching it again. Um, it came, I think I said last week, it came on the DVD. It was a double feature DVD. And it's, you know, I just don't like it as much as this one. It's, um, it's a weird one because what happens in the sequel is the children are actually the protagonists of the film and they end up basically trying to stop mankind from, you know, all of it, like stopping all the military and the war and all that sort of thing. And it, it was more of a, like a weird oh, geez, statement. It's film. like a, it's like a witch mountain. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was a, it was a very strange one and I I didn't really like it. And I don't remember a lot about it, but watching the watching the beginning of it and stuff, I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is the one with the six kids from around the world and they all come together and then they try to stop mankind from killing each other or something." And yeah. I, you know, I I I've always heard that it's the the lesser of the two and that was my sense of watching them. Um, it has been a while since I've seen them, but it, after watching the beginning, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I need to watch the rest of this one. Okay, well then that feels better. Yeah, I won't. I won't rush out to it. Don't do it. Okay. Uh, should we talk numbers? Yeah, and this is why I uh, was going to bring up Eddie Mannix. Actually, Eddie Mannix. <laughs> this was just a, a weird little thing, but um, there is this um, book, I guess, called the Eddie Mannix ledger that you can look at, I think in the uh, Margaret Herrick library in the center for motion picture study out in LA, it is actually a book that he um, kept track of as a ledger. And this, I guess is one of his most lasting contributions to Hollywood It's this ledger where he maintained that, um, that lists the costs and revenues of every MGM film produced between 1924 and 1948 which has been a huge reference for any film historian as they try to figure out how films did. And, um, but yeah, he was, he's remembered for his protective work of the Hollywood stars and work as a fixer in which he was able to hide aspects of their often colorful private lives to keep their clean screen image. So he's one of those guys. And clearly I think the Coens are pretty much pulling directly from the real life guy, but it was very interesting because the numbers for this movie, it was an MGM film um, which actually we should mention MGM actually was going to make this and then they canned it because of the fact that they were afraid that the Catholic uh, groups were going to get all upset at them about releasing this movie that um, basically <laughs> because a, it plays had, so had nicely with the evil, virgin birth. Yeah, evil depiction of these virgin births. And so they they canceled it for years. I think when the book came out in 57, I think. And um, I think it was finally 1960 uh, or 59 when they picked it up again to make with uh, George Sanders. And even then they were like, oh, it's just a dud. We shouldn't do anything with this. And, you know, they, they gave it to the MGM British studios to actually make it. It was a, it, they were going to make it over in, in Hollywood with Ronald Coleman. And it, uh, that didn't end up happening. So they, they gave this British studios, which is where they would dump all the stuff that they thought was not going to be very good. They would dump it over to their British uh, counterparts and give them a little piddly budget. So this, this, the budget for this, as reported by Eddie Mannix in his ledger, was, I believe, uh, about 320000 I think that includes um, prints and advertising. I couldn't find anything that said that, but... Um, because I saw somewhere else that it was like a $225,000 budget. So anyway, $320,000, which is about a $2.5 million. So, you know, it's a decent little budget to go off and make a little location picture. It ended up making domestically about $2.175 million, which is about 17, a little over $17 million adjusted. Um, so all told, it ended up making about $190,000 per finished minute. So, you know, it did it did pretty decent it did for well, yeah. yeah. It did well. I'm feeling like I'm kind of an outsider and not liking it all that much. And so, um, you know, as I'm reading other reviews, and I, I think there are just a lot of people who, who uh, maybe like you, give it more credit than I have been giving it. 
It's it's one of those films that I mean, you know, give it a try in a year or two, watch it with your kids or something and just see what you think. I mean, it's you'll know the story, you'll know what to expect and it's it's just an easy film to watch and it does have all these problems and stuff and I, I mean, even this time I found it a little more uh sluggish than I had before. But I still think it's a pretty, you know, it's a it's a fun little sci-fi film to watch. All right. I'll take it. I think it's probably time for us to rank it. Let's do it. All right, head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. And uh, you should friend us and follow us there. And uh, if you if you already have an account, set up another one for your for your next reel movies. And you could be just like Ben Lott and rank the movies with us and let's see where they uh, where they stand. And we should also say thank you to uh, new followers. We've got some new followers over the last couple of weeks, and we uh, thanks for for joining us over there at Flickchart. Absolutely. Well, let's start off. Conveniently enough, Pete. The first ranking is Village of the Damned or The Bad Seed. Oh, well, I'm going to go The Bad Seed. <laughs> I'm going to say Village of the Damned. Like I said, it's just yeah. uh, just uh, just ahead. All right, let's do it. A nose ahead. <laughs> All right, here A blonde you go. wig. It's a blonde wig ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this, this could define the entire, uh, the entire, uh, this will define the trajectory of the film right here. Yes, it will. All right, One. ready? Mm-hmm. One, One, two, two three. three. Rock. Rock. One. One. Two, Two, three, three. scissors. You are crushed. You are crushed. All right. Mm -hmm. As it should be. (laughs) And so it is written. And so it shall be. Village of the Damned or the host? I will say Village of the Damned. You're already going to throw out. I I still have issues with. The host. I mean, it's it's my least favorite of his films. You know, because you lost in in glory, in battle, glorious battle, I'm going to give you this one. Oh, I thank you. Yeah. Village of the Damned or Only Angels Have Wings? Only Angels Have Wings. Yeah, it's kind of a mood thing for me. Um I would like a, a movie with mood or a movie completely void of it. <laughs> You're right. It is. A, it's a mood thing for me, too. No, I'll say only angels have wings, even okay. though Village of the Damned. I just I do enjoy kind of some of the some of it in there. Village <laughs> of the Damned or the Poseidon Adventure. I will say the Poseidon. The Adventure. Poseidon Adventure. Yes. Village of the Damned or the Illusionist. The Illusionist. I would say Village of the Damned. here. What? Yeah, I I don't know. I think the Paul Giamatti bit in The Illusionist is the cop, you know, just, I, I always dwell on that. Chewing joke. on marbles? No, just the fact that he's just like, oh, those those kids got away with it. I don't know. Just the whole <laughs> end of it. just Scooby-Doo. Kind of, yeah, it just all fell apart for me. <laughs> I, I, uh, wow. I don't, I can't, I think this is going to be a double uh, rock, paper, scissors uh, all right. event. Here we go. Here One, we go. One, two, two three. Three. Rock. Paper. Uh, that was fair. Yes, it was fair. Village of the Damned or the Day of the Locust? Oh, definitely Village of the Damned. <laughs> Day of the Locust is a fascinating, fascinating film. I did not say it wasn't. I almost would pick it over Village of the Damned, only because I find it so fascinating to watch, but I am going to pick Village of the Damned. Thank God. <laughs> Village of the Damned, Pete, or The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. I would say Village of the Damned, but because it's your guilty pleasure, there you I'll go. give you Buckaroo. That's a lot of heart. <laughs> a lot of heart, brother. All right, there we are. 145 out of 206. 145. Seems a little high to me, but I'm okay. 
It seems a little low to me. Should have well, won must, that first round. Then but. it must be perfect. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Now, we you already uh, made uh, an allusion to our next film in the series. Stop. Yeah, not so Stop. much allusion as blatantly I saying think, it. Yes, you blatantly said. Yes. yes. We are going to be talking about the uh, fantastic film, The Innocence, which I'm very much looking forward to well, watching again. the jury's out on that. So it we, is out. We shall it see how fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Where do you uh, where do you rank this one in uh, for Letterbox? I'm also at three and a half for this one. Three and a half. Man, yeah. I'm at a hearty two. Wow, hearty two. All right. Well, there you have it. All right. I guess that's it. Until next week, uh, Andrew. I have got to go to bed. All right got to think about this brick wall brick wall i have to keep thinking about the brick wall brick wall brick wall i must think of a brick wall I got a three star. Can you believe it? I'm going three stars because wow, again, that's great. all of these stupid things are how they're reviewing on how bad the DVD is, not how right. good how good or bad the movie is. And I get it; it's a product thing, whatever. This one is called "Scared the Crap Out of Me" by Jersey Jack from back in 2004. First, let's do the math. It's May 26, 2004, and the DVD for this flick isn't coming out for another two, three months or so. I haven't seen this movie in its entirety since I saw it in the theater in 1960 or 61 when I was eight or nine years old. I can't recall how much of the plot, but it, much of the plot, but it seems to me that it's a bit clumsy, if not contrived. But the kids with the glowing eyes really freaked me out. Hokey by today's standards, but very effective then. And there's that one scene where someone, a man, I think, is threatening the kids, and this little boy says to him, leave us alone, leave us alone. And then the glowing eyes thing he starts, it's very eerie. I'm going to get the DVD just to see if my memory of this movie is justified. Bring it on. Mm. Yeah, you know. I didn't see it in 1960 or 61. But other than that, I think he's probably right. Yeah, there, it, well, there's always an issue of time passing when you there watch you these things. What's yours? It ain't no hostile. Uh, mine's <laughs> a two-star review. Um, and it says, a kid's review. So I'm really curious if it's somebody whose name is A Kid. Or if it's just a kid and somebody oh, wrote it, wrote it out for their kid. Um, it says not anything like the remake. This person, I think, is really a fan of the John Carpenter version. And this is written with no punctuation or capitalization. So I'll do my best. Okay. This 1960 version of Village of the Damned is not worth seeing. It's so low budget and not even scary like the remake. All the victims in this movie you never can see because there is nothing to show. Don't get this movie. Oh, yeah. I think that was a kid's review. <laughs> I think you sold it. You really especially sold because it. you is written as you. you. Yeah, I think they, they did it. They wrote it on their phone too. Yes, that was great. Good times. Oh, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I have tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022. We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>